Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, a body neutrality podcast where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I have with me Jenna Ingalls, who is a fat, positive sewing influencer and pattern maker who goes by the name uh, The Lady Who Lunches on Instagram. I met Jenna when we were seated next to each other at a friend's wedding recently, and she introduced me to some of the fascinating world of plus-size handmade sewists, and I immediately knew that I wanted to have her on here to talk about it. So welcome, Jenna. Thanks. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm going to have you start with the basics, assuming that most people like me don't know anything about sewing. Um, what exactly does it mean to be a handmade sewist? Yeah, I mean, it means different things for different people. Um, but for the community that I'm part of, it means that you're making clothes for yourself. Um, and and so it's a it's part, I would say, of the slow fashion movement in a way. That it's, um, you know, like our clothing has complicated um, supply chains and, you know, is made in countries we would prefer or had better labor practices. And so by making your own clothing, you know, it's you're taking part in the slow fashion movement and reducing some of that um, harmful impact. Maybe it's like extremely complicated. There's no like perfect solution to any of, of this. Right. Um, and it's, um, but also if you are like me and you identify as fat, it's also part of taking control of the clothes that you put on your body. And so making clothes that fit your body the way you want them to, that you maybe can't buy in stores, probably can't buy in stores. Yeah. So this was part of what I thought was so interesting to hear your experience in this particular community, because I think most people who are listening to my podcast are probably going to be at least peripherally aware of like sizeism, weight stigma, issues with accessibility. Um, but we would most often probably think of that as like, okay, so people in fat bodies have a harder time finding clothes that fit. Mm -hmm. um, but it's actually more complex than that. So I would love to hear you talk about why so many people in bigger bodies are turning to make their own clothes, like what they're facing, what issues are coming up for them uh, that makes it harder for them to get the clothes or, or find the, or afford the clothes that they want. Yeah. I mean, it's really complicated as I'm sure like your listeners all know um, there it's at the intersection of so many different forms of oppression. And so the, the main thing is, you know, we're like, Oh, you know, this company's not making clothes in my size. Like they're discriminating against me. They don't want my money for whatever reason. Maybe it's because they hate fat people or they don't want to see fat people in their clothes or they're just like, they wear clothes they, yeah, I need, yeah. um, or like whatever reason it is. And it's, far more complex than that when you look at it from like a technical standpoint, because the reality of it is people who make clothing and like make the patterns that they use to make the clothing from are not trained to make clothes for fat bodies. And so the knowledge set doesn't exist in formal training. And so you see this trickle down into like the plus size sewing community as well, that, you know, there's pattern makers who are like, I just decided that we're going to make clothes for all bodies. We're going to be inclusive mm. here. Fat sewists. Here's a pair of pants. I would love you to make, they should fit you. And then you make them and you're like, that is not how a crotch fits. Like that. <laughs> that's just not like my body is not that shape. Like, um, and so there's just a lack of like real knowledge about the differences yeah. that you need when you're making clothing for a fat body. And that happens at like an institutional level. So could you define for us what a pattern is and what its role in sewing or manufacturing clothing is, how, how that works? Yeah. So typically when you're making um, clothing, there are two ways to do it. So if you're making like a couture dress for yourself or you're like making your, I don't know, Dior, Chanel, whatever, and it's for a person, they might do like, they have a mannequin and they drape the fabric on and they pin it and then they sew it into that form. That's how you make like one-off patterns. Mm. But when you're making a pattern that's mass produced, whether it's like at a home sewist level, or if you're um, like a large company creating ready to wear clothing, what you do is you have a two-dimensional pattern. So it's pieces of paper, that are cut out into different shapes and you sew them up and it turns into clothing. Um, and so you, you're translating a 3D body into a 2D form. And so this is why um, it gets more complicated with like a plus size body because there's like more curves to fit around and you're using a two dimensional form to do that. Um, 
And so that's what's involved like in the, and then, so you take this, right. You cut out your fabric, you sew it up according to whatever instructions you give them yeah. are given to you, or you follow your own intuition. And then you have hopefully a wearable garment. So uh, what are the issues or what are people learning if they are going to go into like fashion or even just making clothes at home? Um, what is the general thing that you would learn about patterns or how to make patterns? So the, the main thing is, right, that everyone chooses like a standard size that they establish. So say, you know, so what it would be today is like probably, you know, like a size eight. That's the size that we start with. And I'm going to make three sizes smaller and three sizes larger from that. And I'm going to use like proportional grading. So everything increases by one centimeter. Like, you know, I'm going to add one centimeter to the width and one centimeter to the height but my arms are not like 10 inches longer than everyone's. <laughs> so this is what happens when you start with like, it just gets more and more exaggerated and awful unless mm. you're doing like a different block for all of those different sizes. And so what happens when people, when we see like we're doing size expansion, right? We're going to have clothing for people in sizes we've never made before. Often they fall into this trap of making clothing that they think should fit a body but they don't actually fit a body like because they're not taking into account, you know, like my neck can only be so big. It's not right. going to just keep getting bigger and bigger. And what's a crew neck in a size eight is suddenly like, you know, a wide neck in a size 24. And you're uh, like, that's not the same experience of the garment. And you're not taking into account like how the actual body is. And so it's, it is extremely labor intensive if you're going to do like some big size expansion like that, because you need to have two different fit blocks at a minimum, maybe more to accommodate for how bodies change and as they get larger. So what would you have to learn? Like in the education process, what would you have to know how to make multiple scalable blocks across the spectrum? Or is it a completely different designing approach? Uh, I don't think it's a completely different design approach. I think it's like creating different blocks, but also just bringing fat bodies into like the world <laughs> with you right like if you're so I mean, simple I mean you have to like have real people that you put these clothes on right yeah. and so what often happens like I've seen a few times with sewing patterns that are released they'll release like a sewing pattern and um and you're like did a real person try this on <laughs> And the designer, like, oh, I don't know anyone who wears this size clothing. And you're like, oh, you have uh -huh. no fat friends. I see. Mm -hmm. That's the problem. Um, find one. Yeah. <laughs> Pay one. Yeah. And then interview you know, you them, see. have them try it on. Like, I do a lot of um, pattern testing with pattern designers. And so they'll say, you know, I want to, I created this new pattern. I was, I'm really looking for somebody with these measurements, you know, to sew it. Yeah. And I sew really quickly. And so I, and, and so I'll say, if I like the design, you know, I'll, I'll volunteer to sew it. And then one time it was a pair of pants and I was like, I, I, I don't like, I don't think this is a, my body issue. Like the crotch is like six inches too small. This is not a, my body issue. Whoa. This is a, your pattern issue. And there's a lot of defensiveness when you say, when you call out something like that, cause it's, I mean, it's a really big error, right? Like if it were like an inch, I could be like, yeah, maybe course, I have, yeah. you know, my body, everybody's weird. Yeah. Maybe I have like, you know, I need more space in my crotch than other people do. But, um, but when it's that big, you're like, mm, I think you have a fundamental misunderstanding of like what's happening in my body. Right. If you think this is like how patterns are. And that's actually my pet peeve when I see pants, <laughs> like um, ready to wear brands that have like, it's almost like gaslighting, like um, the worst offender in my mind. I don't know if you know them, like big big bud press um they're like a slow fashion brand and they're very size inclusive but when you look at the way the pants fit somebody who's like a size six versus a size 20 or 24 you're like that i'm sorry one of those crotches fits better than the other <laughs> and i feel like you're gaslighting me into telling me like this is how pants are supposed to fit because they are not supposed mm. to fit that way so would you say that even for a brand like that who's sort of gone out with the intention of being inclusive oh, they're they still not they hire like beautiful models who are like amazing wearing these poorly fitting clothing oh, and, no. and you just, you're like wait are we all it's like the emperor's new clothes like does everyone right. see what i see here huh okay so that actually just occurred to me 
obviously everybody's bodies are different, right? Our ratios are proportions. Uh, it's always going to be different, but the less flesh you have, probably the less variance, right? The bigger the body, there's probably more variance in how those proportions and ratios are going to look. So that I think is partly what I was sort of asking, like, is it a different design um, approach, if maybe not to the pattern making, then certainly to the idea of like testing, trialing, getting feedback from real humans. And, you know, it does seem like at that point, it has to be a bit of a social commitment. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's hard to know, right. Where the, um, so there is like, you know, with, um, body positivity, it's like anyone can wear anything. And like, there is, um, and like look great wearing it and feel confident, you know, but there's a difference between like something that just fits poorly and thinking like somebody's being fat phobic by saying like those pants really don't fit you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, and so that's where I think. And so that's like the pushback that a lot of people give. Like, I think we think our model is beautiful. And I'm like, I don't mm. think your model is not beautiful. Like they're great. They're awesome. Ooh, yeah. You just put them in clothing that does not fit them. Um, Ooh, so it's kind of hard to be like, have a critical mindset or critique someone who's trying to be inclusive and sort of body positive because they can just get away with being like it fits however it fits or like how could you say that about our model like it was not oh, about gosh the, yeah it was really just about the clothes you put her in Ooh, um, interesting and that I think is the thing for me that by sewing most of my own clothing um that I've gotten away from like you know before I sewed my own clothes I'd go to the store and I'd go in the dressing room right you try on your clothes and, um, and when in those moments, right, when something doesn't fit the way you want it to, or like, it doesn't fit at all, you think, God, what is wrong with my body? Like, why can't mm -hmm. I find something that works for me? And when you're the one making it for me, at least it's no longer what is wrong with my body. It's like, what is wrong with this pattern? Cause oh, it's yeah. not like, and that flip is so empowering. Oh, I love that. How long have you been making your own clothes? Has this been like a lifetime? Um, on and off. I like when I was in high school. Um, I'm, I'm 35, and so when I was in high school, right, there was a lot of like low-rise jeans <laughs> and clothes that were like not gonna not gonna fit me in any kind of world. Uh -huh. um, and so I used to sew a lot of like dresses on my own. Um, and then I picked it up again maybe like 10 years ago when I was in grad school as a good like stress reliever. Um. And then just, it's become like a more integrated part of my life over the years. It's really cool to imagine that the perspective shift once you're making the clothes and sort of seeing behind the scenes, it's almost like we give clothes like a completely inappropriate amount of authority over something. When you buy them in the store, you're like, well, if it's selling, then clearly I'm the problem. Mm -hmm. um, I could imagine that being really cool to be like, mm, this is not a me problem because I made it and this is not how bodies work. No, yeah. You're just like, oh yeah, this was not made for me. Like this yeah. is not like a, there's nothing wrong with my body because other things fit me and I make them successfully and I know how to do it. Yeah. Like they didn't, you know, this just isn't for me. Um so it's a great feeling. Oh, I love that. Has it impacted your own body image? Oh, totally. You want to say more about that? You don't have to. Uh I mean, you know, I I I'm, I'm someone who, um, doesn't see any point in, um, in like getting hung up on my, on like my body. I've never seen like any point in getting hung up on it, but there were like, obviously things I didn't like about my body in my, you know, in my life. Um, and I remember once I had a friend who was sharing with me some like body image issues, you know, that she had, and she said something instant, like, oh, I never see you having any of those, Jenna. And I was like, those totally exist. I just don't like see any point in talking about them. Like who wants to hear me talk about them? Um, but they definitely dissipated. Like something that always happened was, um, you know, like you try on a shirt and it fits everywhere except your upper arms and you're like mm. oh my god my arms like what is wrong yeah. with my arms like are they just like too big is it some problem um but when you make your own clothes and you know that you're like well I just have like bigger arms and so I'm going to make everything a half inch bigger when I make it and then, <laughs> right. oh my gosh the shirt fits perfectly oh that is so cool I don't personally 
feel that I will ever tackle sewing. It's something that I just cannot imagine for myself, but I have so often wished I could change the fit of clothing for that exact reason. Like I love everything about this, but apparently it wasn't made for X, Y, Z. And like how wonderful of a feeling that must be to be like, yeah, I just, I just do it the way that it fits yeah. from the jump. Um, so one thing that I know, uh, representation is an issue in the fashion industry in a lot of ways, like all the way through all of the levels. Um, and one of the things I hear people complain about is like lack of representation in clothing. And you mentioned this is true in patterns too, for like tall people or shorter petite people. And obviously those are, you know, valid complaints in that everybody wants clothes that fit them. But because of the scaling issue with the patterns, I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about the difference between that kind of complaint and the issues facing fat people when it comes to patterns and clothes. Yeah, this is super common. Um, unfortunately, when there's a, you know, a lack of size expansion or there is size expansion that happens in patterns and, um, and you know, or you're calling it out. So recently there's been like a, there are waves, right? Where people are, are realizing, hey, wait a second, like. They said they were going to, you know, make patterns to fit me. What happened mm. to that? Like, did they, did they forget? Is that still happening? Yeah. Um, and you often have people in these moments be like, I know I can never get patterns that fit me at five, two, like where are mm -hmm. all the short people? Everyone's not five, seven. Um, and you know, the thing is that sure you experience discrimination maybe if you're like shorter. Um, I, I have an aunt who's like very short and people are always like, you know, I don't know, patting her head and doing things that are really mean. Like, <laughs> um, you know, she can buy clothes, sure. and yeah. like, and it's like they can be hemmed or altered. And if you're if you're also sewing your own clothing, like you know, you can take some length out. It's a pretty simple adjustment to take some length out. But if you're, you know, if there's a pattern and it stops at a size 14, and you are a size 20, you need to expand that in so many different ways and it gets more and more mm -hmm. distorted. And so there's a fact that like you are being actively discriminated against in your daily life in like myriad ways. And now you're being told like, well, can't you just adjust it? Like it's a, it's a massively different adjustment yeah. that you're requesting somebody make on their own. And it's a different just type of discrimination that people are experiencing. Yeah. So in the sewing community, like what do people do? Well, how, how does the, you know, fat positive sewing community address it? There are a couple of different ways it happens. So, um, so I'll say that, you know, they're like, there are two different types of sewing patterns that exist. So there's like the sewing pattern that maybe if you've been to like a big craft store, like Joanne's or Michael's you've seen, right. And they're always mm -hmm. on sale for like $2. Um, and you go through like, the folders <laughs> and those are extremely size limited. They usually mm. only go up to like a 48 inch hip. Um, and th those companies are collectively called the big four. And they're the ones that have been producing patterns okay. for years and for years. Um, and they seem to have little to no interest in being size inclusive. Right. Um, and so maybe 15, 20 years ago, there was a movement of indie pattern makers who came out with, um, patterns you could buy online and you could download them. And they had some of the similar issues from the start of being size inclusive, but as like, as a general rule, they're much more size inclusive, especially when you're comparing against like what you can buy physically in stores yeah. generally. Um, and so there was a big movement maybe four years ago to call out the companies that weren't being size inclusive and say like, what's your plan? Cause I'm yeah. not going to buy any more of your patterns and I'm not going to post the ones mm -hmm. that I've already bought on social media unless like you're going to tell me what your commitment is to being size inclusive. Um, yeah. And so personally, I try to do that. Like I try to only buy patterns that are size inclusive and generally that's considered like a, up to a 60 inch hip. Um, there's been some push lately that it should go up to a 70 inch hip. And then truly only companies are size inclusive. If they say, if you are too small to fit our pattern, let us know. And we will like grade it to be big enough for you. And so there are two companies that I know of that do that. Wow. So, I mean, basically you get to be ethical in the choices that you make, but that just limits you even further. It does. Um, and it is sometimes frustrating. I'm like right yeah. on the cusp. Um, I'm small fat and I'm right on the cusp of being able to fit into a lot of things. And so there's a moment 
where it's like, you know, I want, so if you go into like a hashtag for a pattern um, and all you see are thin bodies and it's a pattern that goes up to a larger size, like, do I make that so that there's representation? Like people can mm, see here is a fat body wearing this pattern. Um, or do I continue to let it be like only one that you see thin people in? Yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting ethical dilemma. Like representation of the looks that start to break the rules and sort of show what it looks like on bigger bodies versus spending the money on the companies who aren't inclusive. Yeah. And there's a big, um, and I, so I, I, I'm like, I'm not perfect, right? Like there are moments where I'm like, I'm going to a wedding and I need like a certain dress that I have sure. in my mind that I want to wear. And here's this pattern and I can just fit into it. Like, do I make it to show yeah. like, this is what it looks like on a fat body or, you know, do I double down on my principles? Right. <laughs> oh, man. Different. There's never like a perfect solution, but, um, right. So if someone was to buy a sort of straight size pattern mm -hmm. and make the adjustments themselves, how difficult is that for someone who's just like a hobbyist? Is it something that's like possible, but time consuming and annoying? Or is it like literally not possible for most people? Uh, it is possible and time consuming and annoying, and it will require <laughs> a few um, books probably that you may or may not be able to check out from your local library. Okay. Um, that tell you how to do so it's it. It's pretty involved. It's very involved. And there yeah. are some people who do it, especially who are interested in like vintage sewing mm -hmm. um, because vintage patterns are a thing and they're even more size limited than sure. contemporary ones. Um, and so there are people who are very into like, you know, vintage sewing and they'll grade up multiple, multiple sizes. Um, but it's, yeah. it's very complex to do. Okay. So some of what you were saying about like the representation thing and like the sort of um, intended to be really connective kind of comments like, oh, I totally get what you mean. I feel the same way because mm -hmm. I'm a petite. Um, it reminds me of the body positivity movements earlier days, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, where basically like thin women were not introduced yet to the concept of body privilege. And so they would say things like, if I can do it, you can too, with absolutely no acknowledgement that the lived experience of someone in a bigger body might be different, like fundamentally that they face different obstacles and marginalization. Um, and it ended up being really, really problematic and harmful. And I think it's gotten better, but it, it sort of depends on where you are on the internet. Um, but do you experience that inside the the sewing community? Is it like a lack of body privilege awareness? A little bit. There, there is. Um, so part of like what is very great about the um, like the Instagram sewing community in particular is that you can find somebody who has a very similar body to you, mm. like you know very similar measurements, and you can see like. And I have a lot of people reach out to me and say this like. I'm your measurement twin. And so I love when you make something Jenna, because <laughs> I know like how yeah. it's going to fit me or what adjustments I need to make based on the measurements you made. And it's super valuable to find those people, but yeah. like, how do you find them? Right. Um, and so there was a couple years ago, like a measurements movement where you'd put your measurements, like huh. your um, handle, or you would use your measurements in a hashtag. So people could find like their twins um, huh. and use it kind of like as a fitting buddy. But this is like very complex, right? Because like body measurements, while very common in sewing, also have a lot to do with like right. you know, disorders and all kinds yeah. of things. Um, and so then there was like, you know, pushback against that or people using trigger warnings. Like I'm going to have my my measurements and oh, wow, you know, it's yeah. part of my profile. So I don't, you know, trigger anyone. And like in terms of comparison. Um, and so then people started using various like body specific hashtags. It's like, I almost always use fat sewing, plus size sewing and curvy sewing as my mm. hashtags. Um, so people can like find those and I like follow those. And so my feed is populated with like a variety yeah. of bodies that are larger and look similar yeah. to mine. And I can see the patterns they're making and it's really great. And there was a moment this summer where there were people who felt like in between, right? Um, somebody who's maybe like a size 12 or 14 they're like well yeah. I'm not I'm not a fat sewist but I'm not like super thin 
And so there's this movement, you know, people calling themselves mid-size. So we're going to yeah. like do a mid-size roundup, you know, of like the sewing of sewists that are making those things. Mm. And there was some pushbacks. It's like, what, what's the point in calling yourself mid-size? Is it because you want to distance yourself from being fat? Um, and, mm. or, or is it because like, I mean, I, I understand you want to find other bodies that look like you, but why can't you just call yourself straight size? Like, what are you gaining by creating this third category that's distanced from being fat. Yeah. Oh, and I don't think there's like a perfect answer to that, but I think this is that same type of thing, right? Where people are like, I just want to find people who look like yeah. me so I can see what they're making. But I also want you to know I'm not fat. Right, right, right. I I will say that I hear the term midsize way outside of fashion. I just hear it in like body positive spaces, I guess. Yeah. I've never even really challenged it. Um, because my understanding is that they don't feel included in straight sizes because yes. they are on the cusp. So it's not so much about distancing as, as like really wanting that community connection and like validation of being seen for, for who they are. But I can absolutely see, especially in spaces that are like size dependent, like sewing, um, that that could get complicated. And it's really interesting to think too, like, what a wonderful connective intent to post your numbers. And then on the other side, how many people could be looking at that and struggling with whatever that it, I mean, I would, I would tell people not to post their weight for the same reason, but measurements have a, maybe not quite as heavily, like emotionally baggaged um, as, as our weight, but very well, similar. I think very few, unless you're making your own clothing, you are probably not as acutely aware. Right. <laughs> yeah. You didn't track that your whole life. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Okay. So um, going back to the pattern thing, I, I hear a lot of people defending the lack of uh, brands, companies, whatever, having inclusive and accessible clothing by saying that it's not financial financially feasible for them to do so that that's the that's the reason they don't and some of this argument seems to be based on the idea that bigger clothes require more fabric but that is um that seems really ridiculous because if xs to xl can all be the same like why why does it suddenly feel like too much fabric to include now um but what i could see based on what you're saying is that the patterns have to be different above a certain size so does it that is, give any kind of legitimacy to this like defense? Unfortunately, yes. It is effectively double the cost. Um, wow. But, um, <laughs> if you're a small scale ready to wear brand or even like, or, or, or a pattern maker, um, you buy a professional fit um, mannequin, usually like Albanon and they range like, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Oh, um, and these are like, you know, Based, they do like 3D scans of like thousands of people. And so it's supposed to be like more realistic how the huh. body is proportioned and where like fat is located and other things. Um, and so if you're like, if you're serious, you invest in an Albanon form. And yeah. if you are making um, like a large size range, you're going to have multiple Albanon forms. You're going to have, you know, like your size 12 that or eight that you're using for your straight sizes and you have a size 20 probably that you're using for your plus sizes. And then whenever you're creating a pattern, you have to create two patterns. And so you're doubling the cost of like, if you're hiring a drafter or a grader to make those right. grade rolls. And so it is unfortunately about double the cost. Um, wow. And there are, I've seen various attempts to, to deal with that, right? Like companies who say like, I will release one pattern in this plus size range, um, I'm going to see how it sells. And if it sells really well, then, you know, I'll make the investment to do it. But the problem is who, who is their existing customer base? Right. Um, and then they'll come back and say, it just didn't work. It cost twice the money. Right. And we sold, you know, so few that it's just, you know, the, the, the numbers aren't there. Um, but when you see companies that go in and take it seriously and they hire fit models and they hire models for both of them and they work with like influencers in the community saying, here, I'm going to send you this pattern for free. Yeah. 
I'll pay for your fabric. Would you sew it for us? Um, and actually like invest in the marketing to bring plus size eyes to the product yeah, you're yeah. creating, then it can succeed. But so often, you know, a lack of success is tied to a lack of investment on a marketing level. Right. Which I could imagine, like, I don't know, it feels sort of unforgivable for major brands and companies. Like I'm thinking like, you know, H&M or Forever 21, like you've got plenty of money to invest in all the things. But for smaller businesses or solopreneurs, that is like a tough call. And I could see that getting in the way, like why people want to toe dip, but then don't get that payoff, of course. I mean, so, I mean, it's totally understandable. Yeah. Um, and it's like not a, there's not really a perfect solution, right? Cause they have to choose to invest in that. And so there have been some companies who said like, we just, we'd like to, but we just can't do it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard from an activism standpoint, cause I have like respect for them as a person individually, right. but, you know, pushing forward for size inclusion and for the normalization of fat bodies like that is not. You're, you're not on yeah. brand. You're not following along with us. Ooh, especially when you start thinking about a person with size privilege and all of the financial compensation over mm-hmm. a lifetime that goes with that versus a person already in a fat body who has to basically do all of this labor or pay all of this extra money or whatever it is. Like it is the straight sized people who we need to be doing that investment work. I talked I mean, to a, yeah yeah I talked to a friend about this recently because she works for she's a pattern designer great a technical designer for a ready to wear brand and you know everything they every decision they make is based on how many units they can sell mm-hmm. and so you know they create say they're you know they have a dress and they're they sell it based on you know extra small to four x or whatever. And they know that they sell most in the large or the extra large and so they create more units of that. And then it's a bell curve going to the other sizes. And the question is like, are there actually fewer bodies that are wearing like a 3X and a 4X? Are there, are those bodies like discriminated against in terms of their income? And so they're not buying as much clothing as somebody who's in a smaller body. And so, you know, they would love to buy your clothes, but they are the intersection of the um, the fat phobia as it it impacts them is just Mm -hmm. very complicated. And this is seen in sewing, like in sewing influencer circles as well, because, you know, I make a dress and I'm, I'm going to use more fabric. Yeah. It is going to cost more money. Right. (laughs) Um, And there's not really like, you know, you'll see sometimes people say like, oh, you can make this top using one yard of fabric. And let's like, you know, 36 inches by um, however wide the fabric is. And you're like, no, I can't. (laughs) It takes more fabric. And so, you know, those moments where people think like, obviously, like everyone can do this. You're like, obviously everyone cannot. Um, And that's, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's unfortunate, but it happens a lot. that kind of goes back. I feel like we bounced out of this question pretty quick and got on another topic, but I want to return to it. So the issues facing people in bigger bodies when it comes to trying to find, buy, or even make their own clothes is sometimes the clothes just don't exist mm-hmm. like in their size or it, like it can just literally not exist. That's one thing. Um, You mentioned the slow fashion versus fast fashion thing, which is sort of an ethical issue. So if you're wanting to buy slow fashion and the only clothes that do fit you happen to be fast fashion, that's tricky. But this one also is a pretty big one, which is literally weight stigma means you are likely to make less in a lifetime being marginalized in terms of job discrimination and having excess sort of fat tax things, you know, sprinkled throughout your whole life, you're going to have less disposable income on average than a straight sized person, which means that affordability is part of the reason too, right? Like access financially. Definitely. And this is a real issue. Um, So I mean, I grew up, my mom, my mom sewed not really clothing, um, mostly like as I like to say, costumes and quilts. Yeah. <laughs> she did Halloween costumes and quilts. And her narrative and like every other person's narrative of, of that generation that I know who stopped sewing is because fabric got so expensive. Hmm. And the reason why fabric got so expensive is because clothes got so cheap. 
um, because oh. fast fashion made clothing so cheap to buy. Huh. It, you couldn't justify spending money on fabric. And that's still the situation. If you're making your own clothes, you are not like it costs, you know, I, I could go to Old Navy. I could buy a pair of jeans for like $30. You cannot buy fabric to sew a pair of jeans for $30. Oh, wow. um, and so, you know, you are spending more money and, and people have this debate all the time. They get into sewing because they think it's going to be so much cheaper. <laughs> it's so much. Cheaper. I totally would have thought that <laughs> it's not cheaper. Well, it's, it's cheaper if what you're comparing it to is like slow fashion prices. Right, right, right. Like if you're saying I could buy this Eileen Fisher dress uh-huh. for $300, or I could make my own version for a hundred dollars, then it yeah. is definitely cheaper. But if your point of comparison is I can go to a target and I can buy this dress for $20, yeah. you can definitely not sew it for $20. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so I, there's a really great, um, fat sewing pattern company, um, Muna and Broad who only make sewing patterns for fat bodies. And it's because the two founders, it was like impossible to buy clothing in their size that use natural fibers. You could only mm. buy clothing that came in synthetic fibers. And they're like, mm. you know, synthetic fibers are not my jam, like for ethical reasons, yeah. for like sweating reasons, like I would prefer natural fibers and I cannot fucking find underwear that use natural fibers in my size. Mm. And so I had, so they had to go and create an underwear pattern so they can, right. you know, underwear and natural fibers that fit them. And so this like, and who, no one wants to make their own underwear. Like I have right. no, that's, that, that brings no pleasure in life to do. <laughs> um, it's like, but you know, it, it just doesn't yeah. exist mm-hmm. in a product that I want in my body. And so I have to create it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Um, also I am wishing I could remember the name of this woman's account that I love, but there's, there's a woman who has a fat body and does all of these remakes of TikTok trends of like skinny girls being like, just wear a thong as a bralette or whatever it is, you know, and she will like do all of them. And it's just so delicious and like funny. And she's just so wonderful. And like, basically this idea that when we think about trends, it's always, uh, it's the, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And like, maybe up to a certain point but then it gets pretty ridiculous pretty quickly yeah I mean it definitely does and then also things like something that drives me absolutely insane are um tapered pants so often you'll see Mm. um you know because there's an illusion involved with like the creation of of a tapered leg that happens when you're in a fat body because the taper needs to be more extreme. My ankle is not like real, like my ankle is probably not that much larger than your ankle. Um, but my thighs are. And so there is like a more extreme taper that needs to happen. And so what you'll see often in pants or patterns that are have like a tapered leg, it looks like a straight leg on a fat body because they don't take Uh, into account like it's a more severe angle that happens there right and so you know there are things that you that they think like oh this will look the same on everybody and like actually that straight leg is a wide leg on me I need to have like some tapering in the leg for it to have the illusion that you have there I feel like that brings such a like nuanced fashion uh consciousness into it too it's not just like the drafting of patterns size translation like all that stuff feels you know almost like academic but literally you're also talking about translating style and trend to give the same vibe Mm -hmm. and what has to happen to give the same vibe on different body sizes yeah like there's there's a lot. I mean, I certainly have never thought about any of this before, but like there's a lot there that a person would have to know to be able to do that kind of a job. So it makes a lot of sense that like people, if they don't learn this in school or wherever, you know, they got educated that this would be completely missing. Well, even, I mean, you know, just like I mentioned previously, like, you know, just having like fat bodies present in these spaces, right? Yeah, yeah. And you have to think, you know, I talked about the investment in getting like a, a fit mannequin that they're using to create patterns. It's like, do the, these schools don't even have like the plus size mannequin, right? Wow. Like, so it's not like anyone's given a, an opportunity to test this out unless it's 
there's someone in their life, you know, that they, they're, right. they're making this for. Um, and fashion doesn't present itself as like a fat positive space where you'd be right. like, I'm going to go to school to become a fashion designer. Um, and then, I mean, so it's just, you know, it's a chicken and egg situation yeah. to some extent. And I think like of all the fashion rules that everybody learns and uh, particularly for women, it's usually about like highlighting your assets and hiding your flaws. Like there are, you know, infinitely more for women in fat bodies because, Mm -hmm. you know, so shameful, must hide everything, must, you know, camouflage, whatever. So I also can't think of a lot of people in bigger bodies who would jump at the opportunity to like try on a fun piece of clothing that's been translated into their size necessarily um because it's not it's not what they've learned is for them yeah um exactly why would they expose themselves to to that yeah um, and you know it's interesting because i i think i mentioned this to you so there's a um i mean at this portion of it there's a I, you know i probably take a photo of myself every single day like in the mirror this is what i'm wearing today yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> of the day. And every May there's, it's like the month for Instagram sewists. It's called me made May. And, um, the woman who started it is like a straight size sewist. And it was to try to incorporate things that she had made more frequently into her wardrobe. And so like, you know, I'm going to pledge during May that I'm going to try to wear something every day that I made, or, (laughs) you know, do some mending on the things that I made that fell out of my closet or whatever. Um, and that's great, you know, totally awesome. So when I was a little baby sewist, I like saw me made May and was like, oh, I totally want to do this. And when I, you know, initially had a photo taken of me every single day, it was really jarring to see my body um, every single day. So you don't look how you imagine yourself every day. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, and I definitely caught myself in moments where I wanted to like edit the photo. Right. So yeah. I look different or it was a different angle finds like something better. Cause like, do I really look like that? Um, yeah. And what it's become for me as a yearly practice and really like a daily practice is it neutralizes um, the alienation you can feel when you see an uncurated photo of your body and you go, that's the back of my arm. Like, that's what that looks like. I just don't ever yeah. told me that that's like what the back of my arm looks like. Right. Um, and it becomes like completely normalized. And so it, and I love that about yeah. you know, this choice to take a photo of myself every day. And now I can see a photo that I did not curate and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. that's my body. Yeah. As you can probably imagine, I, deal with people with photo anxiety and body image issues all the time. It's such a massive trigger point for a lot of people. Um, And it's tricky where someone is on the journey and just like what's going on for them personally can have a major impact on whether things like gazing at yourself more often, taking pictures of yourself to normalize is going to have a positive impact or a negative impact. Um, but I feel like when someone's ready, even if it's super uncomfortable, it can be absolutely magical and healing, like what you're saying, because it just gives you familiarity. And a lot of that weirdness that people experience is like, just, we don't see each we don't see ourselves from the same angles we see everybody else. Right. So it's like jarring, confusing, um, plus photos, you know, it totally depends on a million things, angles, lighting, uh, pose, whatever. So I feel like that familiarity can be so healing, but also I'm very aware that it is not appropriate for everyone as a default practice. Well, and part of why I think it is so healing for me is that being part of like the fat sewing community, my consumption of fat bodies is so normalized mm-hmm. that I see people, you know, constantly sharing something that they made or how they yeah. styled it for the day. And that's just like my normal media feed is seeing people in bodies similar to mine, larger than mine, smaller than mine. Yeah. But like, I think there was a moment where it was called like, you know, fatifying your feed um, so that yeah. the messages that you're seeing are not constantly, you know, of yeah. these of bodies that are that dissimilar from yours. Totally. Yeah, I feel like diversifying the feed is good for everyone, point blank. If you're going to be on social media, definitely do that. Um, but I, what I love about the normalization process you experienced with the photos is that it was done for a higher purpose. It wasn't like because you wanted to track your weight 
or something like that, you know, it was to share these clothes you made with a community of people who want to see it. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel that that has something even healthier bubbling around it as opposed to just tracking, you know? Oh yeah. I'm not tracking. I'm I'm tracking like, this is the clothes. And then I go back and I look through them and I'm like, oh, I really wore that shirt. I wear that shirt a lot. I should make another one for the shirt. Right. data (laughs) essentially we're like wow I never wear this like maybe I should get rid of it Um, it's never entered into my daily wardrobe I love it it's like market research but you're your own market I am a market yes (laughs) I do look back and I'm like wow I wear that shirt a lot (laughs) and I'll discover like new colors and and various things um so something that I love about your Instagram feed is you do wear a lot of colors it makes me very happy I know you live in California, so somehow that seems to make more sense to me versus East Coast somehow feels drearier and more black. Um, But did you always wear color or is that something that you've had to like unlearn, relearn, challenge yourself? Um, It's a good question. So I definitely, you know, was taught that I should wear like black, right? Um, And I was in academia. People were black a lot there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I, when I started making my own clothes, I was like, I just, there's no joy in black. I want to buy, I want to wear clothing and like make clothing that brings me joy. And what brings me joy is like colorful prints and patterns, things that I cannot buy clothing in, in my size. Um, And so if I'm going to put the time in, I'm going to do it like, and make things that I love and make me happy. And that is not black. Um, right. So like, I don't own black shoes. I don't have what I had to go to a funeral last year. And I was like, do I have a black dress? Like, what am I going to wear? Uh-huh. Um, and there, cause there's so much color. And I do love that. Um, and I do get a lot of people commenting on that because, you know, it's definitely breaking one of those fat rules that you're supposed mm. to wear like slenderizing colors and things that minimize, you know, all joyless. Of yeah. <laughs> um, and when I look at my, I don't have that much like ready to wear in my closet any longer, but when I look at it, you know, it is stuff like that, that doesn't bring any sense of joy. So I spent a decade in New York city and for a while, like 99% of my wardrobe was black and gray. Like that was it. And so since leaving, uh, like eight years ago now, it's been a slow process of integrating color back in and, I feel like I'm not drawn to patterns so much, but I feel like the bright color aesthetic also makes me feel a lot of joy. So I feel a lot of joy when I just like looked through your posts. I was like, oh, this feels good. (laughs) I love it. Um, it, It's dopamine dressing for sure. Dopamine dressing. Um, Yes, totally. A little um, side movement. Also black is not fun to sew. It's really not fun to sew. Why? Um, Sort of like, all blacks are not made equal so having like blacks that (laughs) like red color and various things um, oh and then I mean it it is a it's it is an interesting thing like I make clothes for myself I make clothes for my body that I wear I also make clothes like part that I share right um in Instagram and it is impossible to photograph black clothing well Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, because I often want to show the details of what I, yeah. do, right. And so I had I, somebody I knew made like a pair of black jeans recently. And she was like, I don't even know why I'm taking photos of them. Cause like, you, right. it's not like you can see any of the details on these black jeans. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Uh, um, I have an uncle who went one time to New York city, like also from California. And I remember he came back. He's like, God, I gotta get some black shoes. Like, what am I doing wearing brown shoes? <laughs> I mean it is maybe a Californian thing that we just wear black less but uh, I mean maybe I've had to actively it's like I have a ban the last couple of years a complete ban on black I cannot buy any more black Um, however I am constantly like looking at things and going oh I love that like adding to cart and then being like Jesse it's black (laughs) like it's hard it's a hard thing to break Um, what kind of feedback do you get for breaking this joyless, <laughs> all, all dark uh, rule for people in bigger bodies? Um, I get a lot. I mean, so I think I mentioned to you that, um, you know, like Instagram gives you statistics on like where yeah. your followers are. Melbourne, Australia. Um, that's my like number one city. Wow. <laughs> 2% of my followers are in Melbourne. Um, <laughs> 
and also breaks it down you know like gender and age and like 98 percent of my followers are women if it's mm. like a male identifying follower I probably know them personally um who's there and um and so I have a lot of women reaching out to me on a regular basis like saying you know I I didn't think I could wear that it's so great to see you wear that um mm. or you know like or those I had an outfit the other day that like broke all the fat dressing rules or like <laughs> a knit pencil skirt and a cropped sweater and an oversized jacket and like socks. Um, and so like, you know, I was breaking my long leg. Yeah, line. Yeah, yeah. I was wearing, you know, a skirt that showed my stomach. I, you know, had an oversized jacket that made me look yeah. larger. Like, you know, <laughs> and at first I like, I said something like, I feel like I'm breaking a lot of rules today. And I had people say like, I don't see any, like, what rules are you breaking? And so I broke them down. Like, these are the rules I'm yeah, breaking. Yeah. And the response was like, oh, I've internalized those rules so much that I I didn't even think of them as rules because they're just like absolutes, right? In terms of dressing. Um, And it's love and it's really lovely for me and affirming to get like those, that type of feedback. Um, Yeah. So nowadays, if anyone uses the words I can't wear or I have to wear about anything ever, I'm like immediately my little, you know, spidey senses go off and I'm like, tell me more. Where did you learn that? What is that based on? Um, Because I just think it's so interesting. But for sure, even coming to grips with my own internalized rules took years. And I'd be like, I'm finally free of them. And then I'd run into a new one. Like, oh, I can't wear blazers because they make me look frumpy or something. And I would just be like, not you again. Like, I thought we cleared all these out. There's so many rules that get stuck. And until you actively notice and challenge them, they're just in there. They're just in there. And it's also hard to know where, um, like preference and actually like <laughs> yeah. a role are. Um, so before I made my own clothing, I think I, I never wore pants. I think I owned like two mm. pairs of pants. Um, I couldn't find pants in my size and that had happened for so long that I'd like stopped looking. And, sure. and so it's like, and so, you know, I wore dresses and skirts and you're like, and then I started making my own clothes, make a lot of pants. And it's like, did I, did I actually not like wearing pants or was it that I just couldn't buy them and that yeah. they, um, so like, where is, was there choice involved with this or it was because of a lack of accessibility? Right. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I feel this way about these really like cold shoulder tops. Um, oh my God. I was lit. I just had the thought to ask you, I was like, Jenna, can you speak to the question of plus size bodies and fun sleeves, please? <laughs> Not my style. Personally, I've never owned a cold shoulder top. <laughs> so I, you know, it's, yeah, it's those types of things where you're like, is that, do I actually like that? Or is it just all that is available? Oh my God. I think about this a lot with gender expression stuff. Like, I don't know what I like or how I want to express myself and my gender because I was never given any sense that I was allowed to pick from both aisles. You know what I mean? So like, I just have no concept of masculine clothing on me. I, I wore uh, the night I met you, I was wearing a suit for the first time and I was like euphoric, but I felt I felt going in like I might hate this. I might like feel uncomfortable all night because until you try stuff, until it's accessible, until you have the option, it's just a nothing thing in your head. You don't get to have an opinion on it even. Do you like pants? Who knows? There are none. Exactly. I don't know if I like pants. Um, I think the hard part about being even like, you know, about sewing and I mentioned at the beginning that kind of like how I got into sewing has to do with slow fashion and not wanting to buy fast fashion. Um, And, you know, it's not like I can run out and go buy like a style that I see and just try it. Like I have to make it to try it. Yeah. Um, And I used to feel really guilty that I would make these clothes and like, I wouldn't wear them because it didn't like fit into Mm. my style or whatever. And I recently occurred to me, it's like, well, no, somebody else can just go to the the store and go in the dressing room and experience if it works or not. (laughs) But I have to put in like the investment of time and material in order to like test it out. So don't feel guilty, Jenna, if it doesn't work out, um, you know? (laughs) Right. Oh man. I mean, it's kind of like if you like invest a bunch of ingredients in a recipe that goes wrong, 
like it can be a bummer because you would have liked it to go right. But, you know, that's part of the process, part of the journey. Um, okay, so I, the last thing I wanted to ask was, I know that you have a daughter, three-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you make clothes for her. And mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, like, what is that experience like? Is it Rejection. something? What is it? Rejection. Oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, how much does she participate in that with you? You know, like uh, making requests. She, yeah. So, I mean, three-year-olds are fickle, fickle creatures. Um, and so often, and, she, and they're very literal, extremely literal. Um, and so I'll like show her and, and she's very, um, like refuses to wear pants, only wears dresses. They have to twirl well, they have to have long sleeves. Um, and so like in the winter, I just stock up on long sleeve dresses that twirl well because you can't buy them in the summer. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes she'll see a dress or see some fabric and say like that she wants me to make her something, um, and then I make it for her. And then she's like, no, it's too grippy. It's too, like, it doesn't <laughs> twirl very well. Um, so it's a lot of rejection and sometimes oh um, acceptance. But um, it's interesting because she, like, you know, she only wears, like, basically tutus. Um, and that's that's her aesthetic. Um, and I love that. Um, also, I feel like that speaks to something that gets, like, worn out of us or stamped out of us as we get older, which is the somatic experience of clothing. Very similar to how I think like a lot of girls and women are conditioned to think of sex as like a visual presentation for your partner. Uh, I think that we think of clothing as a visual presentation for the world. But when you're little, you're still in touch with the fact that it's on your body, it's touching you, and it is a somatic experience. And I feel like in my more recent years I've returned to that being like I am a sensitive like to touch person if there are tags in my shirt I am gonna be so distracted like oh soft fabrics things that move well it's such a pleasure of underwear that don't give her a wedgie and that's what she wears Um, yeah like the sensory is very important for her and like what she can do in those clothes like if she can twirl well then it is right I love that she'll put on a dress and spin and if it does not twirl well it is immediately rejected fail (laughs) (laughs) amazing um okay so if you could speak to a listener who is um hearing all of this and maybe curious to sew or not sure if there's a space for them in this world, what, what kind of advice would you give? Um, the best advice is to find a sewing friend, um, can be like in real life or there's probably someone, you know, somewhere, um, because it is a hobby an activity that does require like a fair amount of investment from like a sewing machine, um, yeah. fabric patterns materials like learning those skills and so if you team up with somebody that you know um you can decide like if that's an investment you want to make and then even if you're I have plenty of people who follow me on Instagram who do not make their own clothing um and are always like if only I could make my own clothes make me something Jenna and I'm like no I don't make things for other people but um <laughs> but I think you know you could can... start an inclusive line <laughs> Um, it can be, you know, just dipping your toes into that world. Um, Like I said, fat sewing as like, is a great hashtag to check out, to just see like fat bodies and clothing that they're able to make for themselves. Um, and that are like, you know, maybe they're following trends that they see that they can't buy in their size or they're creating their own, you know, aesthetic of clothing. Um, and that's just, it's a great community and a lovely like place to be. I love that. And where can people find you if they're listening and want dopamine, representation, fun stuff? I am at the lady who lunches. Awesome. Anywhere else? Website or anything? I have a website that Pretty I never just see. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone, you absolutely should go follow Jenna. Uh, even if you, like me, know nothing about sewing, uh, the clothes are joyful, the I don't know, the body acceptance in that space. Like, I, I don't know if you identify with body neutrality or not, but it feels that way to me. It feels yeah. very body neutral. Um, and it just is, it's great. So thank you so much, Jenna, for being here. And uh, everyone, I will catch you next week. Thanks so much. 
Hey everyone, I'm Jesse Neeland and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening to this episode of the This Is Not About Your Body podcast. I put out new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss it. And if you really enjoyed it, please go ahead and leave me a review. Um, also, if you're looking for more information about body neutrality or you want to work with me, you can find me at my website, jessineeland.com. Or you can just purchase my book, Body Neutral, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Body Image Issues, wherever you buy books, ebooks, or audiobooks. We can also connect on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is Jesse Neeland. And because I make this uh, podcast available for free and without any sponsors or ads, you can also feel free to show your support using the Patreon link in the show notes and know that your support, if you decide to uh, participate, is always very much appreciated. Lastly, thank you to my brother, Jason Neeland, for creating the music that plays at the beginning of the show. And thank you for listening, learning, and moving toward personal and collective body liberation.